All right, so last week we started a brand new series called Fear No Evil. Everyone say Fear No Evil. Uh, now, if you missed out on that, I would encourage you, really encourage you to go back online on our YouTube channels and make sure that you listen to that message. Make sure that you get it into your heart because uh, I laid a very important foundation for where we are uh, moving ahead. So let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. It says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but that of power, love, and of a sound mind. Mind. Remember, we said that God has given us certain things and has not given us certain things. As we have been, as we have been made a new creation in Christ Jesus, it is important to understand what has been given to us and what has not been given to us. Here, the word "given," as I mentioned last week, means "ministered to." So there are certain things that God has ministered to us and certain things that He did not. One of the things that He did not minister to us is the spirit of fear. It's not that there is, a, there is absolutely no fear in us. Now, every one of us deal with different things. Like if there is a wild animal that is chasing you, obviously you're going to have a little bit of fear. If you are dangling from a, a skyscraper, a really tall building, obviously there's going to be a fear, uh, um, uh, uh, an element of fear. Or you're walking in the darkness and all of a sudden uh, 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 somebody shouts or somebody's voice that you did not expect to hear comes out or you hear it and all of a sudden there's an element of fear there. Uh, the, when you're a child, uh, nobody had to teach you fear, uh, but when it comes to our makeup, when it comes to our soul and our body, to live in this world, you, you fear the fire, you fear the water. There are certain things that are there, and in a certain way, when it comes to living in this world, fear can keep you away from certain dangers, right? So I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about the spirit of fear. All right. The Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, meaning a, a spirit of fear has to deal with how you live your life. All right. See, everything happens from the inside out. You are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a physical body. So when you have a spirit of fear, what happens is every time you hear certain news or every time you go through certain experiences and situations and circumstances, the spirit of fear paralyzes you. The spirit of fear causes you to make decisions you're not supposed to make. The spirit of fear causes you to react to certain things the way you're not supposed to react. And the Bible says that as a new creation in Christ Jesus, that spirit has not been given to you. But you have been given power, love, and of a sound mind. Now, oftentimes when we talk about fear, we also have to talk about faith. These are two very important uh, uh, spiritual forces that we need to understand. We, on, a, on a very basic level or a foundational level, we understand that everything in the kingdom of God operates by faith. You receive salvation, healing, prosperity, the, the Holy Spirit, your ministry, your calling. All of these things are not by works, but by faith you receive those things. All right. In the same way, everything in the kingdom of darkness, in the kingdom of the devil, operates by fear, right? Everything operates by faith in the kingdom of God. Everything operates by fear in the kingdom of the enemy. And so it is very important for us to deal with those two issues or understand how they function. Now, one of the common things about fear and about faith is this. 
both of those things have to do with the future. Both of those things have to do with an expectation of the future. Faith says, I'm expecting good things. Fear says, I'm expecting bad things. Are you understanding? You live in a state of fear because your expectation is that something bad will happen. You live in a state of, fear, uh, of faith because your expectation is that something good will happen. Now, how does faith come? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Now, if faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, here's what I want you to know. Fear comes by hearing the contradiction to the Word of God. Right? Fear comes by the contradiction to the Word of God. Now, last time I said that certain times fear can be disguised as wisdom, as worldly wisdom. Sometimes fear can be disguised as, uh, um, you know, caution or being responsible. Now, how do you differentiate those things? You differentiate those things by knowing the Word of God. See, if faith it comes by hearing the Word, that means if you don't have any Word, you have no faith. At the same time, fear comes by hearing the contradiction to the Word of God. See, that's why it is very important to know the Word. I'll say that again. That's why it's very important to know the Word. If you don't know the Word, how do you know if it contradicts the Word? So certain times what happens is in the lives of Christians, they're a Christian, they go to church, they come back and they go about their regular life and because they don't interact with the Word of God, because they don't know the Word of God, even when they hear the contradiction to the Word, they think it's wisdom. Let me take that. Not knowing by taking something that contradicts the Word of God, you are entertaining things in your life that God said not to entertain. Are you understanding that? See, when you keep listening to the news, when you keep reading the WhatsApp messages that are being forwarded to you, when you keep reading the stats of everything that is going on all around you, what's happening, there will be news that, that, that lines up with the Word of God, but there will also be most of the news does not line up with the Word of God does not line up with God's promises for your life. But what happens is, when we don't understand what the Word promises us, when we don't understand the truth of the Word of God, you take something that contradicts the Word, but because you don't know the truth, you think this is the truth and you take it up. And you receive it into your heart. And you take it up as truth and you begin to live by it. All right. So that's one of the reasons why it is so very important for you to know the truth of the Word of God. Amen? Now, when it comes to faith, we've seen it throughout the Scriptures that people received from God by faith. All right? All the way in the Old Testament, we see a, a multiple, I mean, hundreds of examples of people receiving supernaturally from God by faith. In the New Testament, we see everything that was done in the life of Jesus when, it, when He was interacting with people was done by faith. Right? Now, the opposite is also true. Go with me. We're not going to look at scriptures regarding faith just because of time. I've done that a lot of times before. But now, go with me to Job chapter 3 and verse 25. The opposite is also true of this. All right? Job chapter 3 and verse 25. It says, For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. Now, if Job is known for anything, he's known for everything that went wrong in his life. 
right? Even though God restored double in his life, the majority of our focus and our concentration when it comes to the Christian world, whenever you bring about the name Job, the first thing that people think about is Job's sufferings, the trials and tests that he went through. That's the first thing that people think about. And what is, the, what, what is Job saying here? In chapter 3 and verse 25, he says, For the thing that I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. So just like people believed God and the supernatural happened, here, he greatly feared certain things, and they, he greatly feared to such a degree that he began to dread. That means he was tormented by this. He was oppressed by this fear. And that which he greatly feared has come upon him, and what I dreaded has happened to me. Are you understanding that? So, it's important to understand faith, and it's very important to understand fear. All right. Now, with that foundation, today what I want to do is I want to give you two reasons or two ways in which fear comes often into our lives. And then I want to give you three different ways in how we should respond. All right. Two ways that that fear comes into our lives and three ways by which we need to respond to the fear that comes into our lives. All right. I hope you're ready for this. Go with me to Matthew chapter 14, please. Matthew 14 and starting from verse 22. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 14 and starting from verse 22. It says, Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and uh, cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. Verse 23, After sending them home, he went up onto the hills by himself, by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came forward, sorry, toward them, walking on the water. Verse 26, pay attention here. It says, when the disciples saw him, everyone say, saw him. Saw him. When they saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. They were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. In other words, he immediately spoke to them. When, as soon as he heard them say, as soon as he saw them uh, uh, afraid, and as soon, as soon as he heard them say, It's a ghost, he immediately replies and he says, Don't be afraid. He said, Take courage. I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. He walked on the water. There's Jesus walking on water and there is a 100% man that is walking on the water. Now, here's what happened. Verse 30. But when he saw, everyone say he saw. he saw, when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. He didn't sink completely, he 
began to sink. Now, when you think about this, how, how, how long does it take for you to sink? It's quick. Have you ever tried walking on water? You sink real fast. It, it's not like a slow process. It doesn't take you 30 seconds to slowly start sinking. It happens really quick. Now, if something can happen that quick, but here is what he says. It says, he began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. So, so I want you to think about how far he walked. See, we focus and we say, oh, he sank. No, 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 no. Think about this. Jesus was seen afar off. He gets out of the boat. Jesus says, come. He begins to walk on the water. It's not like he just took two steps. No, he took several steps. He, he, he's so close to Jesus that in the process of him sinking, he cries out. And what does he say? He says, um, save me, Lord. He just shouted, and the Bible says Jesus immediately reached out. If Jesus could immediately reach out to him and grab him, that means he was that close to Jesus. He was that close to Jesus, which meant that he walked on the water for a while. It wasn't just two steps and sink. He walked on the water for a while. See, if, if the people thought that Jesus was a ghost, they wouldn't think Jesus was a ghost if he was just two feet away because they would see him clearly. They thought he was a ghost because they could not see him clearly, which means he was a little bit far off. And he, this man gets off of the boat and he begins to walk. And he's so close to Jesus now that when he's beginning to sink, he cries out and immediately Jesus stretches out the hand and pulls him up and saves him. Look at what he says. Uh, verse uh, 31, Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? Now, that word or that sentence, you have so little faith, a better way of translating that would be, you had a short burst of faith. A short burst of faith. He says, you had a short burst of faith. Why did you doubt me? Pay attention to that. He just didn't say, why did you doubt he says, why did you doubt me? You get that? Why did you doubt me? Because I am the one who told you to come. It's my word that is carrying you from the boat to me. So it's not just about doubting, but it's about doubting Jesus in this instance. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus says, I know the wind, I know the waves, I see those things, and yet, even though you see those things, you should not have doubted because you don't really have a reason to doubt. All right? Then he goes on to say, verse 32, when they climbed back into the boat and the wind stopped, then the disciples worshipped him. You are really the son of God, they exclaimed. See, Peter lost it when his when he lost his focus. When he lost his focus. Now today the question is, what are you focused on? Are you focused on Jesus? Are you focused on his word? Or on you, are you focused on the situations and circumstances around you? Are you understanding that? So the first way, or uh, one of the ways in which fear comes into your lives is based on what you see. 
Fear comes into your life based on what you see. All right, that's point number one. Now, go with me to Mark chapter 5. I'll try to be quick because I can preach the f- next 45 minutes just on what we talked about in, in Matthew chapter 14, but I want to make sure that I get these points across to you. Mark chapter 5, and starting from verse 35, 34, please. It says, And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Now, in context, this is the woman with the issue of blood. All right. Now that has happened. And, and uh, if you if you know the story, you know that when when she got healed, Jesus is being thronged by people. There are people all over the place. People are pushing him. People are trying to touch him. And, and, and it's chaotic situation at that time. Then verse 35, while he was still speaking, some came to the ruler of the synagogue's home. Uh, synagogues, sorry, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house um, who said, your daughter is dead, why trouble the teacher any further? Now, again, for those of you who may not know the story, so Jesus is walking, he has a bunch of people, a huge crowd that is following him, a huge crowd that wants to hear what he has to say, or that wants to interact with him. All of this time, while he's walking on this street, the, uh, the woman with the issue of blood comes, touches the hem of his garment, supernaturally she's healed by the power of God. Once she is healed, Jesus understands, wait a minute, virtue flowed out of me, or, or in other words, power went out of me. Who is it that touch me. Long story short, they find out that it it is this woman. And now he says in verse 34, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in uh, peace and be healed of your affliction. While all of this is going on, the ruler of the synagogue came to Jesus saying that his daughter was at the point of death and that he needed help. So Jesus says, okay, I'm coming. And now Jesus is actually on the way to his house to do something regarding his daughter. While all of this commotion is taking place, he overhears that somebody from the house came and is now telling the ruler of the synagogue, says, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the master or the teacher any further? Verse 36. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, in other words, as soon, like if, if, if there are three people standing and one person is speaking, both the, other, the, the, the remaining two people will hear the words at the same time. It's not like it'll take a, a, a one speed for one person and a different speed for another person, right? So when Jesus heard it is the same time the ruler of the synagogue heard it. Both of those people heard the words, your daughter is dead at the same time, right? And what does Jesus do? Immediately, Jesus heard the word that was spoken. He said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. Do not be afraid, only believe. Now, why didn't Jesus say that five minutes earlier? Why didn't Jesus say that 30 seconds earlier? Why did Jesus only say that after hearing what the person from his house had to say? He said it because that's the point when fear came in. Right? The second way fear comes in is based on what you hear. Fear primarily comes in through your eye gate and through your ear gate. What you allow 
to come in through your ears and what you allow to come into you through your eyes will determine what is deposited on the inside of your heart. Now, there are other ways, but these are the two primary ways in which fear comes into our lives. So what does Jesus do in, in the case when, uh, when the disciples were on the boat? The Bible says that when they were terrified and they cried out that it was a ghost, immediately Jesus answered and said, don't be afraid for I am with you or for I am here. Right. What's Jesus doing? As soon as fear begins to get a hold of the disciples heart, immediately he interacts and says, hey, don't let that happen. Don't fear. Do not be afraid. And here's what, what's happening here in Mark chapter 5. The, the ruler of the synagogue hears the words, your daughter is dead. Immediately Jesus answers. See, up to that point, what is he doing? He's interacting with the woman. He's interacting with the woman. It's, it's it, you know, it, there are times in our life when we're talking to somebody and we overhear something. And we stop the conversation that we have and, and deal with something else. Why do we do that? Because we realize what we overheard can be potentially dangerous or somebody is about to make a wrong decision or something is about to go in the wrong direction. And so we, we make a decision. We say, okay, it's, it's important for me to cut this conversation right now to deal with the immediate, to deal with something that is of an emergency. Right. Sometimes I'll be having a conversation and, and, and I'll, I'll overhear my daughters doing something or a sound from their room. And immediately I'll stop what's happening here and, and, and pay attention to what's happening there. Why? Because I, I understand that something is important. So Jesus does the same thing. Jesus is actually talking to the woman with the issue of blood here. And immediately Jesus turns around and now he's talking to the ruler of the synagogue. And he says, do not be afraid only believe. Why? Because he knew that's the point where fear was trying to get a hold of him. And he wanted to deal with it. All right. Now, two different ways fear comes in. Now, how should we respond to this fear? Now, many of you over the last several weeks, you have been watching things that are bringing fear into your life. And you've been listening to things that bring fear into your life. You've been hearing people that bring fear into your life. You've been watching the news, watching people, watching videos that constantly bring in fear into your lives. Now, how do we respond as Christians? How do we live in this world knowing that we are not of this world? All right. Number one, we respond based on our identity. You respond or we should respond. How should we respond? Number one, we should respond based on our identity. We should respond based on our identity. See, everything that we do in our life is primarily or, or it comes out primarily based on our identity. For example, you treat people a certain way based on your identity. You allow certain people to treat you a certain way based on your identity. Because of who you think you are, you treat certain people a certain way, you allow certain people to treat you a certain way, and you don't allow certain people to treat you a certain way. Why? It all comes out of your identity. All right? Now, even when it comes to how you deal with problems, based on your identity, you deal with problems. 
right? Some, the, the same problem might happen in the lives of two different people and each one will respond differently. Why? Based on their identity, all right? Uh, Isaiah chapter 54. Isaiah chapter 54 and starting from verse 14. All right. It says, In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear. And from terror, for it shall not come near you. Now, look at what it says. The foundation is being established in righteousness. The foundation is about being established in righteousness, which, which means your right standing with God. How did you get your right standing with God? When you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you get a right standing with God. And that is your identity. You are the righteousness of God. All right. If you are a person that has placed your faith in Christ Jesus, then you are a righteous person. You've been declared righteous by God. And here he says, in righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear. Which means oppression is a result of fear. Every time you feel like you're being oppressed by something, that means fear has taken root. If you, if you uproot fear, you cannot be oppressed. You're only oppressed because of fear. And it says, and from terror. What kind of terror are you hearing about? Is it about war? Is it about a pandemic? Is it, is it about an economic collapse? Whatever it is, whatever kind of terror you're dealing with, it says, for it shall not come near you. It shall not come near you. Why? Because of your identity. All right. Then it goes on to say, indeed, they shall surely assemble. Who shall assemble? The evil one. The, 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 the fear, the oppression, the terror, all of these things shall assemble, but not because of me. Or another way of saying it is God is saying they will assemble, but that's not from me. All right. Then he goes on to say, whoever assembles against you shall fall for your sake. Why? Because you're righteous. Because you're righteous. Fear will assemble against you. Terror will assemble against you. Oppression will assemble against you. The forces of darkness will assemble against you. But you are the righteousness of God. Never forget who you are. Then he goes on to say, Behold, I have created the blacksmith who blows the coals in the fire, who brings forth an instrument of his work, and I have created the spoiler to destroy. Another way of saying it is, even the very, very ones who are forming weapons to, 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 to destroy you, the, the weapons uh, of warfare that are being uh, um, created against you, he says, don't worry about them. Why? Because he says, I'm the one who created the blacksmith. Meaning the one, see, he, get, get, get this, God, what God is saying is you never have to be in a place of fear. Why? Because the very person or the very people or the very forces of darkness that may be coming against you, he says, I am the one who even created them. Amen. Are you understanding that? Now, he goes on to say, verse 17, a verse that many people know. No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servant of the Lord, and my righteousness is from, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Now, many of you know verse 17, but now here's the question. In verse 17, it says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper. My question is, who's the you? Who is the you? Is it everyone in this world? 
Is it every single person that is breathing right now? So no weapon formed against you, meaning everybody on this world. So no weapon formed against anybody in this world shall prosper. No, we have to define who that you is. So if you start reading from verse 14, you understand that the you that the Bible is talking about here is a righteous person. Now the question is, are you righteous? The question is, do you believe that you are righteous? Do you believe that God calls you the righteousness? The righteous person. I'm talking to every born-again child of God, every person. And you might be watching right now and you might say, but pastor, I don't believe in Jesus or I, I, I've never accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. Well, you have an opportunity to do that right here, right now. You don't have to wait another minute. You don't have to look at, at the people who are righteous and as an unrighteous person and say, oh, I, well, I, I really wish I can be a righteous person. You don't have to wish anymore, my friend. You can be made righteous by God right now. Now, all you have to do is you confess, believe in your heart and confess out of your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he died for your sins, that he rose again from the dead and in him and only through him that you have new life. And immediately you are called the righteousness of God. God deems you as a righteous person. Amen. Amen. So here he's saying no weapon formed against. Now, first of all, let me just say this. Please do not be surprised when weapons are formed against you. Please do not stop being surprised when you are attacked. How can we be so naive that we think because we're Christians we should not be attacked? Man, listen, that's the reason. That's the reason you will be attacked. The reason you will be attacked is because you're a Christian. Are you understanding this? See, people who think, well, I'm a Christian, I shouldn't be attacked. You have a very naive understanding of, of what the Christian, Christian story is all about. No, you will be attacked because you're a Christian. You're supposed to be attacked. Don't be surprised by attacks. He says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Which means, let them form everything that they want to form. Let them strategize about how they're going to bring you down. Let them strategize about how they're going to steal, kill, and destroy from you. But don't worry. Because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They can use earthly weapons. They can use spiritual weapons. But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty through God. We have mighty weapons that have been given to us. Who cares if there is a weapon formed against you when the weapon that you have is much greater and much mightier than the weapon that they have? So he says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that rises up against you in judgment, you shall condemn. Who? The righteous man, the righteous woman, they shall condemn. Why? God is not going to condemn. Why? Because you are righteous. You have the authority and the ability to condemn. So there is sickness and disease that is trying to destroy you. Condemn it in the name of Jesus. 
There is lack coming into your life, condemn it in the name of Jesus. There is brokenness coming into your life, condemn it in the name of Jesus. There is fear trying to grab a hold of you, condemn it in the name of Jesus. Who is supposed to do that? You are supposed to do that, my friend. You are supposed to do that because God says, every tongue which rises up against you in judgment, you shall condemn. Now he says, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. This is our portion. This is our inheritance. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness, talking about our righteousness, their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. The righteousness is from me, says the Lord. So number one, how should we respond to fear? We should always respond to fear from our identity. From our identity, not from your circumstance. Start with your identity. Know who you are in Christ. Know who you are in God and respond to fear. Number two, we should respond based on God's relationship with us. Now, I didn't say our relationship with God. You get that? I said we should respond based on God's relationship with us. I'll tell you the difference. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 41. Isaiah 41 and verse 10. It says, don't be afraid. It's easy to say something like that. But then you, you question yourself and say, God, I am fearful. How do I just not be afraid? He says, don't be afraid, for I am with you. Amen. Then he says, don't be discouraged. But why, God? Why should I not be discouraged? For I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Are you getting that? Now, it's all about who He is to you and what He will do to you and for you. It's not about who you are to Him and what you will do to Him or for Him. It's all about who He is to you. See, at the end of the, the, the day, here's what we need to understand. At best, we are man. And at worst, He is still God. Which means, at best, there will always be times where we fail. At worst, He is still God, which means He is still faithful. Which means He is still righteous. Which means He will still never leave you, never forsake you. In the Amplified, this is how it says. It says, fear not. And then in brackets, He says, for there is nothing to fear. <laughs> Get that. So, Corona, He says, Fear not, for there is nothing to fear. But I have corona. And, and, and God looks at that and He says, there's nothing to fear. See, let's say again, you know, if I'm walking my daughters, and if, 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 I'm, if I'm walking on the street and they see a stray dog, right? They might be afraid. They might try to say, no, 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 I don't want to go that way. But then I'll say, don't be afraid. Because in my mind, that's not a problem. There's nothing to fear. Why should I not be afraid, Daddy? Because there's nothing to fear. 
But there's a dog. Yeah, I know there is a dog, but the dog is not the reason to fear. The dog should not give you a reason to fear. But, and you're saying, but God, there is corona. Yes, but there's nothing to fear. God is not saying there is no corona. He's simply saying there is no reason to fear. Corona might be there, but there's no reason to fear. Depression might be there. There's no reason to fear. Some other situation might be there. People might be leaving you, but there's no reason to fear. There might be a shortage in the bank account, but that's not a reason to fear. All of those things may be the reality that you are facing, but that's not a reason to fear. Why? Because God said that. He says, fear not. There is nothing to fear, for I am with you. Daddy, why should I not fear the dog? Because I'm with you. If I'm not with you, then yes, it might be a dangerous situation, but I am with you. And because I'm with you, don't fear the dog. There's nothing to fear. Oh, but I'm in the ICU. My parents are in the ICU. My uncle is in the ICU. Don't fear. Why? Because I am with you, says the Lord. I am with you, not an angel. Gabriel is not the one that he sent to be with you. He sent the Holy Spirit to be with you. And now he says, I am with you. And because he is with you, there's nothing to fear. There's nothing to fear. And then he goes on to say, do not look around you in terror and be dismayed. Again, do not look your eye gate. He says, do not look around you in terror and be dismayed. Oh, my goodness, I'm, I'm living in my apartments and, 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 and 10 different people have corona. Oh, I see the ambulance picking them up and, and, and they're going. Oh, I, I just heard that somebody else died. Don't look in terror. Why should you not be dismayed by everything that you see? He says, for I am your God. He says, I am your God. So God, what, what's happening to these people? Don't worry. He is your God. The question is, do you believe that he is your God? That word your means it's personal. It's personal. Can you, can you say with all of your heart, the God of, of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the universe, he is my God. Oh, I see what's happening in the news. Oh, it's a terrible situation. When I, was, when I was reading about some of the things that are happening, that people are in need of oxygen. Can you, can you, can you even imagine what that's like? To not be in water, but yet drowning at the same time. It must be one of the worst things that can be happening. And yet God says, I know what's happening all around you, but don't be dismayed. Because if you're dismayed, who's going to be the ones encouraging them? God is your God. Yes. Don't be dismayed. You're supposed to be the light during these dark times. He says, don't be dismayed, for I am your God. He says, I will strengthen you and harden you to difficulties. You don't have to do it. God says, I will do it. I will do it, he says. I will strengthen you. I will harden you to difficulties. Yes, I will help you. I will help you. I will hold you up and retain you with my victorious right hand of righteousness and justice. His right hand of righteousness and 
justice. Say this out loud. Say, I am being strengthened by God. Every one of you, you're being strengthened by God. You're being hardened by God. He is doing that work in you and for you. Amen? So the second way we should respond, we should respond based on God's relationship to us or with us. Number three, go with me to 1 John chapter 4, please. 1 John chapter 4. For those of you who are taking notes, and I encourage every one of you to take notes, but if, for those of you who are taking active notes, uh, just write number three and leave some space, but then go to the verses and we'll come back. I'll, I'll reveal the, the point a little later. First John chapter 4 and verse 18 says this, There is no fear in love. We, let, we're, we read this last week as well. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, which means it's, it throws it away, all right? Casts out fear. Why? Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. He who fears has not been made perfect in love. Which means a person, you might be thinking, okay, so if I'm fearful, that means I'm not being made perfect in love. And there are a lot of Christians who read this and say, okay, I'm a Christian, but I'm I have fear, so I've not been made perfect in love. So what should I do to be made perfect in love? Right? Now, that's the way most of us think when it comes to the things of God. And we think, okay, I'm not been made perfect in love. Now what should I do? Maybe I should do more for God and then I'll be made perfect in love. And we go back to this almost law-based mentality. If I need to do something again, or I need to come up with new exercises so that I can be made perfect in love. Okay, go with me to verse 15, same chapter, a couple of verses up. Verse 15, it says, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. All right, now, for everyone that's watching, if you have confessed Jesus as your Lord, now he says, God abides in you and you abide in God. That's what it said. Verse 16 says, and we know, we have known and believed the love that God has for us. Not how much we love God, but we have believed how much God has love for us. And uh, for us, God is love and he who abides in love. In other words, he who abides in God, abides, uh, uh, abides in God, abides, sorry. And he who abides in love, abides in God and God in him. Verse 17, love has been perfected among us in this. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. Now. Let's take that one more time, step by step, all right? Verse 15 says, if you confess that Jesus is the Son of God, that means you abide in God and God in you, all right? God in you and you in God. There's union there. Now, verse 16 says, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love is a person that abides in God. You can also say this, he who abides in God abides in love and God in him. Now, verse 17 says, love has been perfected among us in this. 
love has been perfected among us in this. Verse 18, we read and we said, what should we do to make sure that love is perfected in us? Verse 17 says, in this, the love of God has been perfected among us. Which means, for a believer, the love of God is not something that will be perfected. The love of God is something that has been perfected in you. Are you getting that? For every child of God, it's not about, okay, fear, uh, uh, perfect love casts out all fear, and anybody that is in torment or anybody who has fear has not been made perfect in love. He is talking about the unbeliever. But in verse 17, he's talking about the believer. And in verse 17, he says, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. The question is this, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. Do you believe that? If you believe that, the reason you believe that is because you believe in Jesus. Now, if you are a person that believes in Jesus, now John says, love has been perfected among us. That's the truth. Now, that's the reality. Now, if love has been perfected among us, then here's what you need to know. That perfect love casts out all fear. That means in the spirit, love has been perfected in you. And in the spirit, there is no fear. Why? Because fear has been cast out with that perfect love. God has not given you a spirit of fear. And now whatever fear has been there, it has been cast out because love has been perfected in you. Are you understanding that? Are you getting that? It's not that you have to do something more to be perfected in love. It's about you knowing that love has already been perfected in you. It's been perfected in you. So the third way, how should we respond to fear? We should respond based on God's love for us. Based on God's love for us. Do you believe that God loves you? That's the question. Do you believe that God loves you? Now I know John 3.16, and I know many of you can quote it, but I'm saying right now, in the midst of everything that's going on, do you believe God loves you? See, when you can get to the place where you truly believe that God loves you, then you will be able to declare out of your mouth, all is well with me. All is well with me. See, w when it says perfected, that's past tense. And John says in verse 17, love has been perfected among us. It's not something that will be. Now, when you know that it is past tense, now what do you have to do? You've got to believe it with your heart. And what do you have to do next? You confess it out of your mouth. Begin to confess every single day. Confess it out of your mouth every single moment. God loves me and all is well with me. God loves me and I am protected. God loves me and, and provision is my portion. God loves me and I have peace with my family. God loves me and we have joy in our family. God loves me and I have restoration in my life. Confess it out of your mouth. Declare it out of your mouth every single day. Now, in closing, this is exactly what happened with King David. 
Before he ever became king, one of his most well-known, uh, uh, um, you know, writings is Psalm 23. Now, think about how he, he talks about it. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, he says. Now, why does he call God a shepherd? Because that's what he was doing. You see, David would tend his sheep like a faithful shepherd. He would make sure when there was an attack on the sheep, he would fight against the enemy. And so when he began to think about God and think about the ways that God was with him, he says, the Lord, just like I'm a shepherd to the sheep, he says, the Lord, he is my shepherd. He doesn't say the Lord, he is a shepherd. He personalizes it because he believed it. See, don't just say God loves the world. Do you believe he loves you? With all the chaos of your life, with the past, with the decisions you've made, do you still believe he loves you? David believed that and he said, the Lord, he is my shepherd. And he said, I shall not want. Now, think, I want you to think about this. When, when, when David says that God is his shepherd, at the same time, what is David saying? David is also saying that he's the sheep. See, men don't have shepherds, right? What he's saying is, the Lord is my shepherd, which means I'm the sheep. And then he says, I shall not want. Now, it is a known fact that sheep are some of the dumbest animals on the planet. They don't have any power. They, they, they can't fight and, and get food for themselves. They can't do anything. And yet, here he says... The Lord is my shepherd, which means I'm a sheep. And then he makes this claim. He says, I shall not want. What is he saying? He's saying, I am the sheep. I have no ability in myself, but I know I shall not want. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. So I can't hunt, but I'll always have food. I can't protect myself from a lion. I can't protect myself from a wolf, but I'll always be safe. Why? The Lord. He's my shepherd. He's my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not want. In Psalm 23, in, in verse 4, he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he says, I will fear no evil. Again, why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. But again, the foundation is, I will not fear. Why? Because you are with me. You're with me. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And right now, there might be some of you that might have that very same sense that you are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Some of you might be watching from the hospital right now. Some of you might be in the ICU room right now. Some of you might have people in the ICU room right now. I want you to know, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it is simply a shadow. Right now, see, like, I don't even know where my shadow is right now. But many of you know, the, the shadow of anything, the shadow of a tiger never bit an animal. You don't have to be afraid of the shadow. Here he says, the, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he says, I will fear no evil. 
Why? For you are with me. For you are with me. Now, if you're paying attention to what I was saying, three ways in which we need to be responding. I said the first way is, has to do with our identity. The second thing has to do with God's relationship with you. The third thing has to do with God's love for you. All three things start with God and end with God. What you've got to do is believe. Your identity is not something that you earned. It started with God. He gave your identity, which is the righteousness of God, and He gave it to you freely. Number two, your relationship with God. You didn't earn your relationship with God. God loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He began it. He finished the work, and He loves you. All you've got to do is believe it. Number three, I said, the way we respond is based on God's love for you. You don't initiate anything. The Bible says we loved God because God first loved us. He started it. He finished it. All you've got to do is believe. My friends, I'm not trying to give you more work to do. We're living in the new covenant. I'm always conscious of this when I'm preaching. I don't want you to listen to a sermon and feel more burden, the burden of work. Jesus says, for my burden is easy and my yoke is light. Why? Because he did the hard lifting. He did the hard work. What do we have to do? We've got to believe. We've got to believe that He has given you a new identity. We've got to believe in the fact that He wants to have a relationship with you and you are in relationship with Him because He wants to have a relationship with you. Number three, what do we need to believe? We need to believe in the love of God. So in closing, fear is always going to try to come in. Every avenue, He's looking for ways to get in. But at the same time, God has done something about it. God says, I know you're going to go through tough times, but His promise is, I'm always with you. I'm always with you. Now, if you don't believe, you will go through the tough times and you will let those tough times affect you in ways you don't have to be affected. But when you believe, and respond the right way, you will walk through the valley of the shadow of death without dying. Amen? Amen. So, I want every one of you to understand that God loves you. You're living through tough times. You're living through confusing times. But it's also a time where God can gloriously elevate you like never before gloriously elevate you like never before. It is in tough times, it is in hard times that men of God are formed, women of God are shaped, and they're revealed to the world. I pray that your testimony will be a blessing to your family, that your life will be a blessing to the nations of the world. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your goodness, your mercies, your love. Father, I pray for people all over the world. I pray for every person watching, people who will watch this later on as well. No matter what situation or circumstance that they're dealing with, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus, 
we declare and we decree, Father, that your peace and joy be their portion. Lord, that the word that has been spoken has fallen on good ground and that it will yield a mighty harvest in their life. We declare there is absolutely no room for fear in our lives. We don't uh, uh, tolerate it, not for a moment. We thank you, Lord, that we get the opportunity to live by faith. We believe in you, Jesus. We trust in you. May your promises come to pass in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen and amen. Hallelujah.